the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. It's the Wine Women Radio Hour. I'm Marsha Meekumber. I'm here with Lisa Adams Walter. Hey, hello, Lisa. Hello. And Misty Rodebush Kane. How are you, Lisa? Misty? Yeah, fantastic. And good. Good afternoon, listeners. How was your uh, How's your week been going, you guys? Mine has been going well. I'm surprised at this heat, though, in the in wine country and. And there's still harvest finishing up because I've been hearing it in the middle of the night and early mm-hmm. in the morning, right around where I live in the oh, middle yeah. of the Napa Valley. So it's it's still that time of year where there's a lot of excitement around. Yeah, a tremendous amount of energy still in the valley and um, really, really busy right now with planning for 2020, mm-hmm. which is really exciting and fun. It is. Um, one of the great activities that we do here in the last few months of the calendar year is digging for planning for what we want to accomplish in the following year. So um, I tend to agree with you. We're all kind of in that boat. We're also getting heat wave right now. Um, it's a little unusual to get kind of two Indian summers. It feels like we've gotten two Indian summers this year. Uh, hopefully it'll be one we can enjoy and hopefully no power outages for us, but we know it's a possibility for some people. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So Lisa, are you expecting to be whacked by PG&E personally? I am, I am not. I'm sort of in a safe place um, because I'm in Yauntville and I think Yonville's protected because of the California State Veterans Home, honestly. Good, so it's, good point. it's a nice little pocket to be located within. Right. Um, but I know that it's, it's been rough for some wineries, but I, I've heard stories of wineries really jumping in to help each other, those with generators, helping yeah. other wineries, and some really neat stories like it's, that. It's really yeah. important. Thankfully, yeah. Miss, you, li- you live outside of the zone, don't you? The shutdown zone in Petaluma. Part of Petaluma, so half of Petaluma was shut down. Thankfully, mm-hmm. I lived on the um, side of town that was not. So. Us, so. Yeah, so it just That's really good. depends. But yeah. it's just this arbitrary right. line that just sort of goes right through some cities. And there you go. Thankfully, um, here at St. Supery, we maintained power. We had a plan in place. So we Bravo. maintained power all the way through the outage and... If it goes out again, we'll have that same plan in place. There so. you go. That that's a good way to do it. And you just mentioned we're here uh, doing an offsite today. It's kind of fun. We are here at Saint Superi Vineyards and Winery in Rutherford in Napa Valley. Uh, Rutherford, for our listeners further afield, is kind of right in the middle of the Napa Valley in the north south area. We're on the the Rutherford bench where a lot of the premium vineyards are located. Uh, and uh, a lot of the, the great grapes of the Napa Valley are grown right here surrounding us. Um, tell us a, a little bit about the building that we're in right now, Misty. Oh, so I um, so the building that we're in right now, I um, am so fortunate to be here on site because I was able to just walk downstairs and come <laughs> straight to this recording. So that was fantastic. Um, we have Emma here with us, and Emma is quite the expert at the Atkinson House, and she knows so much more of the stories and the rich history of it. So I'll let her oh, tell that story. All right. Well, then we Atkinson should introduce House. Emma Swain, president yes. and CEO of St. Supery Vineyards and Winery. Emma, thank you for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It's nice to be here with the three of you. It's women rule. <laughs> That's right. We got. We have to stick together in the wine industry because we're a minority in the wine industry. So, 
Uh, Emma, I'd like you to pick up where Misty left off about this gorgeous, gorgeous building from the 1800s, a beautiful Victorian that you've obviously um, updated a little bit, and it ties together so beautifully with the modern building next door. Tell us about uh, what's happened here. So this uh, home is called the Atkinson House. It Mm -hmm. was originally built by a gentleman, J.B. Atkinson, who Mm -hmm. was a San Francisco clothier who moved to Napa Valley to have a summer home here and quickly became involved in the community on the bank boards, growing grapes, uh, having his own winery, which was originally um, where BV Winery is. Mm -hmm. And he built this house in 1882, and we've remodeled it a couple of times. When the Scally family originally bought the property in 1985, they remodeled the, you know, the walls and mm-hmm. and so forth. But we've got the original glass windows. It's the original molding. It's really quite beautiful. And we did an update about two years ago um, with Kimberly and Dan from Shopworks, and they and myself. We all live in mm-hmm. old Victorians downtown in Napa, and we all have uh, homes that are modern and old at the same time. And so they were kind of the perfect duo to help us with this project to kind of have a little bit of the old and a little nod to the new. Very cool. Well, I do think you've captured it perfectly. Really, really fun. We actually uncovered um, the the previous owners of the fa- the mm-hmm. builder of the home. They actually were in, as Emma mentioned, the clothier business, but they actually manufactured shirt collars. <gasps> so we came across some really old historic shirt collars because instead of buying a whole new shirt back in the day, you would just buy two or three collars and you would pin them on to your undergarments. Right, because collars fray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So, yeah. So Very we are um, resurrecting them and working on the best way to showcase them. So for our visitors that come to right. see the property, they can also see those really unique collars. The, that that's one of the great things about um, older properties in Napa Valley is the history that they bring with them, and then your ability to showcase them for visitors. Because my other question was going to be, wow, was that something you were going to um, present here, uh, you know, at St. Soupery, or were you turning them over to the Napa Valley Museum or for something yeah. um, for them to use or, or one of their many suitcase exhibits? We know they have a lot of suitcase exhibits that they do and take around and show off that way. So, well, um, how about a first cheers here with the first cheers. glass to a women being together here? Oh, we get the pour sound. Yeah. All right, some beautiful Cheers. estate Sauvignon Blanc, I believe. Mm. Uh, one of one of your signature wines, oh. Emma. Why, why don't you fill us in a little bit about what we're drinking? This is actually one of my favorite children, and this is our Dollar Hide Vineyard uh, Sauvignon Blanc. So it comes. 100% from our Dollar Hide Vineyard mm-hmm. from the oldest parcel of Sauvignon Blanc on the property. We planted it in 1983 with a little budwood that we got from Joseph Phelps of Clone One, you know, which originally came over to California in the late 1800s mm-hmm. um, from Chateau de Cam. So original Clone One kind of being continuing to be propagated here in the Napa Valley. It's 100% Sauvignon Blanc and it's just got this just wonderful, vibrant uh 
pink grapefruit, mm-hmm. guava, green lime, but a, a lot of stone fruit in it and just great aromatics. It's sort of explosive out of the glass, but it also has a, a touch of barrel fermentation. And, you know, it's not meant to showcase the oak whatsoever, but the, the oak gives it a little heft, a little, a little depth, a, a little, um, pull in the in the mid palate which kind of gives it a, a much broader range with food than our traditional napa estate sauvignon blanc so um you know of course like all our wines 100 percent estate but i just i love the 18 vintage it's just amazing mm. heavenly nose don't it's you think really creamy and mm. nice it is and it and there's just so much complexity to it which I think you're right. The, the the little bit of oak makes that difference. Um, a lot of people think of uh, Sauvignon Blancs as being um, acidic, um, it, that they have uh, a lot of grassiness to them, and they they don't have a lot of depth. Um, this is in contrast to that. It I has agree. elements of that, but there it's not grassy. Well, it's, yeah, it's very cool. much a warmer climate, mm-hmm. Sauvignon Blanc, right? It's got great acidity from our cool nights that we have here in Napa Valley and the high elevation vineyard where it is. Mm-hmm. gets very cool at night, significantly cooler than we do in the rest of the valley. And uh, we'll end up being you know in the, in the 40s when we're harvesting this. And of course, we harvest at night. So that great cold night, beautiful acidity. But, you know, during the day, we have great warmth and it adds a, a, a roundness and a... Um, and depth to the wine that I think when you have a cooler climate Sauvignon Blanc, you tend to get more of the acidity mm-hmm. and less of that that volume that the warmer climate generates on the palate. Mm-hmm. And to me, it this has uh, the flavor profile is ever expanding. So it's interesting because it seems to go through and hit the middle of the tongue, and then it just starts stretching out in all directions of the mouth in like a real steady band. It's kind of cool to me that it that it does that because all wines do develop differently with a, their mouthfeel and it's all a little different. So who knows? Anyway, delicious. it's delicious. It so let, let's talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned earlier all of our wines are estate wines, but some of our listeners may not know that and they may not know the difference. So how about a little explaining what the difference is between estate wines and non-estate wines first. Sure. So an estate wine is the highest level of control that you can have over a wine. And um, it's very important. We all look at the beautiful front label on a wine, but reading the back label is sort of the most important thing I think that you can do when you're, when you're shopping for a wine. And when you turn to that back label and it says grown, produced, and bottled, and it says estate bottled on the wine, then you know that 100% of that wine came from the same appellation that the winery's in. It came from grapes Mm -hmm. owned or controlled by the winery and made at the winery, and not a drop of anything else can go in there, right? It's only your wine. There's only about 12 wineries in Napa Valley that are 100% estate grown, produced, and bottled. That's what I was going to ask. It seems like it's pretty rare. It's extremely rare. And a lot of people purchase grapes for this and that. You think, oh, they're 100% estate, but there's still one or two items that they that they don't fully control. And for us, having that control over the vineyard and managing the same vineyard year after year in that detailed, very um, 
precise manner that we do and mm-hmm. incredible level of micromanagement of the vineyard <laughs> all the way into the winery enables you to to tweak just little things every year to continuously improve your product and we just have that level of control you can't get otherwise right and if you're a listener out there you might you know be wondering if you know that Saint Supery Sauvignon Blanc is also available in nine, in um some kegs um mm-hmm. for some of it's it's sort of a, a new trend that's um really taken off in the wine wholesale and trade industry but you we actually had to invest in our own equipment and sure. train our staff to actually do the kegging here on site to maintain that estate mm-hmm. level so it's everything you do like every new product line you bring in like you have to think that through right you do that's interesting well when we've got brooke here we can talk to her a little bit more about what some of the winemaking differences are because i have a vague recollection hearing Jordan Kivelstadt, who was kind of um, the lead man behind getting wineries to start considering using kegs, that um, there's little tweaks in terms of um, CO2 used in the um, uh, production process um, and other little things during the fermentation process that he has recommended that wineries do slightly differently when they're making their wine. Um, for cake production so Mm -hmm. but I don't remember what the rest were and I certainly would do a horrible job if I tried to do it myself I love the the green aspect of it though like I Mm -hmm. frequently order wines by the glass in restaurants that are you know from the cake system and they're delicious and wonderful and they stay in their high-end wines and they stay fresh all the way through and I just love it that there isn't all that waste with the bottles and the capsules and the corks that isn't really needed so that, you know kudos to you at St. Supery for that's embracing super important that. to me and you know, Misty and I were looking at the numbers the other day and we figured we'd saved over 40,000 bottles mm-hmm. since we started wow. last year yeah. just with the number of um, kegs that we've made here at the winery so that's pretty exciting to me and I think you know it's just one more way to to have a little smaller impact yeah So let me interject for a second a little bit of industry news because it's right on the topic you were just talking about, Emma. Um, There was an announcement made today or yesterday, sustainable packaging likely to become the battleground for premium alcohol producers. And this comes from a company called Global Data. So the interesting aspect was this, as they said in a survey that they conducted, 71% of global consumers consider it quite or extremely, I'm doing air quotes here, um, important for product packaging to be made from sustainable or or renewable sources, while only 25% considered it important for packaging to have a luxury experience. So there's an interesting shift. And then the article goes on to describe um, a few other experiments that are going on right now. One was the um, Glenlivet Scotch Uh, experiment in which they were packaging it in um, a new type of consumable capsule um, and it got derided heavily probably because it's brand new and it came out very suddenly but they called it Tide Pods now it's not (laughs) obviously Glenlivet scotches and Tide Pods but um, they were trying to do something where you could consume not only the shot of scotch uh, but also the 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 package it came in as well so um Who knows how much they will produce that. But another one that would be more direct to the wine industry, Emma, was they're experimenting with bottles made from paper. 
Wow. I'd, I'd be a little concerned about laying that down yeah. for 15 years <laughs> yeah. you know, or 20. You yeah. know, I, I like to lay my wines down for kind of a while in the cellar. Right. I, I think it's great if it works for quickly consumed I, yeah. wines. I think we need to know a lot more about, does that mean that the glass is made from paper originally, or it's actually a paper bottle and it's not too clear in the press release what that is. We, but that's just some interesting green sustainability things going on in the industry right now. Another one that's really important right here at St. Supri, I note, is that you are Napa Valley Green Certified. Can you talk about what that is for people who may not know, Emma? Absolutely. That's one of my passions is Napa Green Certification. So I think uh, Chateau Boswell and St. Supri were the first two wineries to put the Napa Green logos on our, our packaging. Mm-hmm. We have the Napa Green Winery Certification and the Napa Green Land Certification. Mm-hmm. And I say land, not vineyard, because it encompasses everything we do. So when you think of our Dollar Hyde Ranch, it's a little over 1,535 acres. Only a third of that is planted to vineyard. Mm-hmm. So, But we certify the entire property. So we're looking at those hillsides to make sure that we don't have erosion on hillsides that we aren't even planted on. We're making sure that our, you know, 1,200 peach trees are all maintained in Napa Green certification. So everything that comes off the property is Napa Green certified. So that's one unique factor. It is the most stringent sustainable certification in the industry. It requires us to renew that certification every five years in the vineyard, Mm -hmm. every three years in the winery. And not only do we have to renew and continue to be inspected by federal, state, and local agencies, but we have to improve. So every time we finish our recertification, we sit down and say, what can we do Mm -hmm. better? Which I love because it's not me being the only one who says, what can we do better? (laughs) It's all these agencies. And they, you know, are doing this all the time. So they come forth with some ideas that maybe we haven't thought about. And it's tailored to each specific property and winery every time it's done. So for us, you know, our first time when we certified the winery back in 2012, our goal was power. We put in solar that covers about 80% of our power bill on the on the roof of the winery. And, and right now we've got a, a big construction project to try and bring that up to 100% with two new solar structures. And for, you know, the next year it was water when we recertified. So each time it's looking at something that we could do better and we continue to do better. And each time we well exceed those goals that we set out for in the recertification. So those are, to me, those are the things that make the Napa Green certification really worthwhile. So it sounds like Napa Napa Green certification um, is a lot like the equivalent in the building industry to Leeds, like Leeds Platinum. And, and Emma, for, uh, for other vintners out there that are in the Napa area, how extensive is that certification process? I mean, how long did it take St. Supery to prepare for that and get ready and be um, become fully certified? You know, um, we did the Rutherford property because it's relatively small, and we did the land very quickly because we've always um, practiced in a sustainable manner in the vineyards. 
And I think what was enlightening for us were some suggestions on how we could continuously improve. But it did take, you know, several inches of paper and documentation and so forth and about six months, I think, to get all of the, Mm -hmm. you know, the inspections and everything done and documentation that of what we're doing and then proof of that documentation that we are doing what we say. The winery took us, um, you know, quite a bit longer. I think it took us about 15 months because I we weren't as tuned in to a lot of the small things, which, you know, but small things add up and they're big things. Do you have, do you have an example of like, what's a small thing that you didn't realize you had to address? And then maybe the, the type of light bulbs we were using people defaulting to two sided printing, um, making sure that we're composting our kitchen scraps, um, being more thoughtful and um, attentive to the recycle bins and making sure that people are sorting properly and then that sorted trash is going to where it should go to be recycled. And um, there were a number of things like that. And once we started kind of paying attention, we brought on um, an environmental engineer who worked with us for about four or five years in the vineyard and wow. at the winery. Um, when we and he helped get all of our original certifications and the first round of recertifications. But um, once he left to to move on to great, wonderful new things, um, we put together a team of people that encompass every department at the winery, sometimes several people from different departments, where we meet monthly and we talk about what we can do better in every area. And then we started a small a group of wineries our size that meets quarterly to share ideas with each other. And I, I think it's nice because it's other wineries where we're the same size. We have the same goals, but a lot of us do things differently and we have ways to achieve goals because maybe we started with, oh, I've got a problem with energy and I did this one thing to save it. I I changed how we use our chillers and that can be applied by all of us. So it's, it's wonderful way to continuously improve outside of the the process. And Marsha, in, in the reference to the news, Mm -hmm. you had mentioned that uh, about sustainable packaging Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the compensation or the trade-off between, uh, sustainability versus luxury. I think those lines are getting more and more blurred as time moves yeah. on, because there are some fantastic luxury options out there for paper, for labels, right. for corks. And that was just one survey. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, don't know. I mean, I mean, it's pretty, how many people it was or anything like it's that. It's pretty so. wild. Like we just brought in some ribbon for the holiday season and it's a hundred percent compostable made out of paper. Wow. So, you know, there are options too. out there. I do. Th- I do think on the luxury level, there's being given a lot more attention to it. And and some people are really quite adamant that going the sustainable way is the only way to do that. Um, but part of that, you know, continue on this line, I wanted to talk a little bit to help paint the picture for our listeners um, about about particularly dollar hide, since we are drinking wine that is made from dollar hide. It's a, a historic vineyard. Um, you mentioned some of the things you had to go through to get the land certified, but what we didn't talk about was um, the amount of wildlife that's up there. You know, the wildlife would not thrive so much without uh, having a sustainability plan in place and without going more green in the vineyard. You have everything from the standard ducks and geese to um, egrets, jackrabbits, owls, 
um, bobcats, mountain lions, bears, otter, and eagles. I was I was looking <laughs> at the turkeys. picture and I saw this line <laughs> yeah. about um, there being otters, and I was like, the otters I would think would start to cause issues in your you know you've got, I wasn't sure if that's like a is that a retaining pond there but it looks like it's naturally shaped so yeah. I really wasn't sure we have seven lakes at the the property and they're all at natural occurring mm-hmm. places although they were dammed mm-hmm. to um, capture rainwater so all the water we use at dollar height is recaptured rainwater but we have a tremendous amount of wildlife and for us you know that's you know, a very important portion of sustainability is biodiversity. And here in Napa Valley, we're in one of the most biodiverse locations in the entire country. I mean, if you think of the map of the United States, you think of biodiversity um, hotspots being black, you would see from Napa sort of radiating out to Mendocino, this sort of black space Mm -hmm. and a little also in Southern California like that. But as you go across the country, it's essentially just a white plain until yeah. you get to the Everglades and Tennessee and some of the other hot spots on the East Coast. And so we're in an area that is tremendously biodiverse. Uh, the Nature Conservancy mapped us down to the parcel about 15 years ago <laughs> and our biodiversity. And it's really, you know, we have different types of wildflowers mm-hmm. at Dollarhide than we do here in Rutherford. There's amazing diversity and so you want to retain that because that diversity is maintaining the balance in the vineyard so we encourage that and that's why we have about a thousand acres that are are just left wild on the property right right not all not all of your property is developed yeah um a large portion yeah so the the local audubon society actually comes out to our dollar hide ranch to do their annual bird count (gasps) I so love that. So that, that usually comes up around New Year's, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, New Year's yeah, Day. That's when they do their thing, which is kind of fun. You know when to come. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the other things that's fun about the sustainability and the diversity here, particularly for visitors who haven't been here, is you come up the drive uh, to the tasting room, uh, park and start coming up the walkway, and you get to see the kitchen garden, so to speak, so there's a lot of espaliered fruit mm-hmm. trees out there, among other things. Can you talk a little bit about that, what visitors can see there and Absolutely. the experiences with those? So at Dollar Hide, we have a little over 1,200 heirloom fruit trees, and we have 80, 83 types of peaches, over 40 mm-hmm. types of nectarines, 18 types of pluots, Asian pears, apples. I didn't know there were that many nectarines. Yeah. And so, so it's wonderful to have that diversity within your fruit tree population because, of course, everything doesn't come ripe at the same time. So it gives us a broad range of fruit throughout the summer into the fall. And not everyone can visit Dollar Hyde when they're here in Napa Valley. It's a little bit um, longer, windy drive. And so we tried to bring that here to St. Supery when we, when we remodeled. We thought it would be nice to do some things that, that you can enjoy and look at and say, oh, you know, I could do that at home. That would be fun. And so we um, did a garden of fruit trees, and we put in about, I think, 85 mm-hmm. um, additional fruit trees on the property. And we did some espalier, some not espalier um, around the grounds and different styles of espalier because it's sort of something like, oh, I have a small garden. I could do that in a small space and just kind of give you ideas to take home and um, an experience and just walking through the grounds wow. is really beautiful. We have about um, 16 types of figs here 
because um, we don't grow again figs i didn't know there were that many <laughs> there's fig a lot season of, too right the, now the figs are delicious absolutely delicious so a little fig i was jam. gonna say they could the figs i would think would go really well with your whites so yeah. um tasty things and um I'm yeah so oh that's so oh, much better that's okay well we're um I'm really enjoying this cheese. It's like a triple cream, I think, with the Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, I take it this is from some of the experiences that are offered to visitors. Emma, you wanna you wanna talk about the cheese and what visitor experiences are offered? Well, sure. We we have a huge number of experiences here mm-hmm. at the winery, kind of to do what you enjoy most and maybe learn or explore a, a little bit about mm-hmm. one of your favorite varietals. So we do a five Bordeaux varietal tasting. Mm-hmm. That is, of course, the five red Bordeaux varietals that we grow at St. Supery, Petit Bordeaux, Malbec, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, and Cabernet Sauvignon. And then we pair that with um, some cheeses and fruit Mm -hmm. and nuts so that you can taste the wines by themselves and then experience them with just a small bite that's going to pair really nicely with that um, wine and see how the wine changes. And it's fun because, one, you get to say, oh, I really love Cabernet Franc more than I love Cabernet Sauvignon and and go back and forth between the wines. When we we remodeled the winery, I wanted to make sure that people could sit down and go back and forth between the wines because I think that's the best way to decide what you like to drink versus going to from a light to a very heavy wine and not having the opportunity to go to back go and back. forth. I think that's kind of essential to um, to deciding what you like best and then trying it with food and seeing how that interaction mm-hmm. plays on your palate is really wonderful. And I take it that's a, a like a guided that's a guided experience Absolutely. through each of those. So the, what's different than um, old style tastings for lack of a descriptor is that you've got several glasses in front of you so that when you're talking about going back and forth, take a sip of one, try it out, play it against some, some of the others. Um, most of us probably remember back in the 80s and the 90s, not to date us too much, but uh, you, you know, you'd get, you'd have one glass and you'd get, right, you'd start with the light pour and then you'd work your way through, but you'd never go get to go back. Right, right. So we also like do <laughs> white wine only tastings. Mm-hmm. We do a, a blending of Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc mm-hmm. where you can blend your own Vertu, which is our white Bordeaux varietal blend. And we do that also with a little bit of cheese. We do a veggies and vino mm-hmm. because we have a large culinary garden in the back. We have about an acre and a half total of produce wow. on the property. So that, you know, between the various areas around the winery, um, enables us to have seasonal produce and chef layers that and, and demonstrates it with a variety of wines. And I think um, people always know, oh, if I have steak, you know, I'm probably pretty good with Cabernet, right? Or Merlot. And that's a, a safe bet. But people get a, a little more intimidated by vegetables because there's a lot of different <laughs> right. preparations. And it's super fun to come because you could come four or five times a year and have different wines and different things out of the garden. It's whatever is fresh at that point. And and seeing how Chef layers those flavors, just like mm-hmm. Michael layers the flavors in the wine, um, really makes a, a, a difference right. in your experience. So you were talking earlier about, you know, that there were 
five a zillion choices in nectarines here and uh, the similar mountain figs and you're just saying that you know there's different things here at different times so um, I imagine the figs go really nicely this time of year with the Semillon with the Sauvignon Blanc um, great pairings to try those but but this is the time of year follows the time of year for follows that and squashes and you know um, root vegetables uh, and then you work into different things in the winters. So. And watching our chef pull off a pairing with Cabernet mm-hmm. and vegetables or Merlot and vegetables, it's really quite just sort of a really awakening of like your palate and, oh, you know, I can actually pair this with some vegetables. And it sort of puts you puts all of us outside of our comfort zone. And yeah, I, I think that that's something else. There's always, especially in California, we have fresh greens all year round. And it's what, what's that? That's the perennial question. What do you pair? What wine do you pair with that course, you know, or, or that dish? What is it? So that's a real learning experience that you're providing. Well, and he also does a, a couple of programs where it's um, create the perfect pairing where just having some simple items in front of you and experimenting with acid and salt and sugar and how it interplays with the wine with Chef is really fantastic, you know, kind of eye-opening experience just seeing that, that little bit of interplay right. on the plate. And I want to go back to... Um, the virtue um, blending opportunity because Misty brought that to us. I think it was last year, almost around this time. Yeah. Um, uh, during one of the live shows that we did um, with a blending, and it was really interesting to sample that out and see. Oh, I you know I would like a little bit more Sauvignon Blanc, but then maybe Lisa preferred a little bit more Semillon in her blend. So um, it's very interesting to to sample that out and try it. And it's, I think, a, a fun activity to do if you're here visiting in the Valley. Yeah, because everyone's wine preferences vary so greatly. So, you know, it's it's fantastic to be able to create your own custom blend from the Napa Valley. We cork it and you take it home with you. <laughs> well, so my, my favorite thing about it, as we were talking about sustainable packaging earlier, is you can bring your bottle back and we can um, trade it out for a clean, clean one because we wash them and mm-hmm. we refill them. So if you're local and you want to bring your bottles back, you get a little extra discount we keep your blend on file and we can just (gasps) bottle that up for you love that and all the all the individual blending materials and the it's all like these beautiful little glass crafts that um have this really fun Mm -hmm. refill repeat um tagline on them and we wash them and reuse them for the experiences put them through our commercial equipment so so i want to make sure our listeners know these different experiences they can do um approximately how long is the virtu blending experience a good hour it depends you know i mean some people really Mm -hmm. get into making their blend and then other people's know right away so it just yeah Yeah. i mean you if you're doing you know a a winemaker selection tasting you can add it on to the end Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know do it in probably half an hour if you're already doing a tasting because a lot of it is um you know the experience at the winery and too. is the bordeaux varieties tasting uh, also about an hour or is that one yeah, longer it's about an hour okay all right sounds good are the uh, are there some other different experiences that that people might want to know about i think the that perfect some the pairing that emma led into you mm-hmm. know that's really sort of a a nice way to learn and take some really good skills home with you 
Um, we also have our, you know, we have just a basic Cabernet collector tasting that's exquisite. So if you're coming in, you know, you can come in and taste Cabernets or if you like, just white, focus on yeah, that. And if you like, like white wine only, or if there's someone in your party who only prefers white wine, they can do a white wine pairing and mm-hmm. our white wine flight. And I think that that's, you know, fantastic right. and unique in the Valley. That's a lot of fun. I had a group from Canada the other day and there were eight of them and one person only liked white wine and they were they were hitting all of the top Cabernet locations on it's their tough for weekend. the person on the white side. And end. so <laughs> I, I did the the Cabernet collectors for everyone but this one woman and uh, I had everything set out for her to just do the white wines and she said it was her favorite place because it was the only place that she really enjoyed what she was having because she just doesn't drink red wine so it was it was fun so we need to know if there's someone in the party who doesn't like red wine we can always mix it up and make something special because I we're a rarity for Napa Valley when we make half our production is white wine yeah absolutely true but I think uh and correct me you guys grow at least 13 different varieties, white and red. Yeah. Is about that. is that about right? So a lot of them are, are blending Nine. only. But one thing that's really fun, and I guess this kind of segues into club offerings, is you guys make a lot of different wines. Um, you, you can go to a few places and you get two or four wines. You have... All a dozen five, we or have all five Bordeaux varietals, and you have blends. So we haven't even mm-hmm. talked about Elu and Vertu. and all, and and Vertu. Um, so there's an awful lot of choice here if for people who join the club. Would you like to talk a little bit about um, what the club offerings are? Oh, I think Misty should do. That. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Misty, take it away. Yeah. So we have um, we have we like our wine tasting experiences. We really wanted to create clubs that provide options for everyone because everyone's wine preferences are different. So we have sort of our intro level, um, which is our estate collection and it's four shipments of four bottles throughout the year. So you get a very nice sampling of St. Supery estate wines. You get our wines that are winery exclusives like our Cabernet Franc and our Malbec and Petit Verdot, which aren't available. You can't buy those in a store no, around the country. You cannot buy Only those. here. Mm-hmm. And then we also have um, a fantastic divine Cabernet mm-hmm. collection where it's focusing on library mm-hmm. and really special, um, Cabernets from the estate. And so you can select that and that's four ship, four bottles as well of four shipments. Uh, after a year of membership, we actually, um, have shipping included for those. There you members. go. Stick around longer. Yeah. Okay. So but that makes perfect sense on a library membership because the whole point is to to find out how the wine evolves over time mm-hmm. so you have to stick around longer yeah, yeah. and we really we do that. send current releases as well so it's a great mix like you can open some library and if you really like it then you can decide oh geez i'm gonna sell her this you know current release and or i'm gonna try the current release now and maybe buy some mm-hmm. extra to um, seller for later. Mm. So it's a really fantastic club. The last club, which is, or, or actually we have two more clubs, but the, uh, winemakers selection mm-hmm. is a fantastic option. And we're seeing more and more people really want the ability and the flexibility to choose. So this is yeah. a full case that they receive twice a year. 
hundred percent selected by our winemaker. So he sits mm-hmm. down with us and decides what the selection's going to be, um, for the given year. We'll put some library wines in there occasionally. Mm-hmm. And, um, the members do have a few weeks to get back to us and to customize it if right. they want, um, you know, to so trade if you lean it out. more white or more red. Yeah. Yeah. You can customize it. And then, um, we do include shipping on that. So it's a great Ooh. perk and benefit for members. Um, and they get continue, they get shipping included on future full case mm-hmm. purchases as well. So we want them to be the location that they're purchasing their wine. Lots from. and lots of choices to make, which is really kind of cool. I did leave off the Moscato club. <laughs> so we have a Moscato club as well. Cause there are some, you know, very fantastic Moscatos out there mm-hmm. and our Moscato is um, delightful. And there's people that only like Moscato. So this is, this is absolutely true. Three bottles of Moscato four times a year. So there you go. And Emma, you mentioned when we were off the air, uh, the Moscato, or what's it, Missy, that the Moscato goes really well with the figs. And blue cheese. And, and, the, blue and cheese. the blue cheese. Yes. Oh. So good. Be like having honey, right? The Moscato mm. and blue cheese anything is kind of <laughs> fantastic. I, you know, spicy wings and blue cheese dip over the football game with yeah. Moscato, that works. Yeah. <laughs> we also make these uh, Cars wheat crackers with uh, St. Agur blue cheese and a little of our peach jam from the ranch and the Moscato. It, it's something that you can whip up very quickly for Thanksgiving, about 60 of them, and pour everyone a glass of Moscato and uh, people will be happy. Yeah. Our stone fruit as well. Any dessert with the stone fruit, mm-hmm. even just peaches over some creme fraiche or some ice cream. Is or, you know, leave the peaches in the Moscato overnight. It's yeah. a good one too. Oh man. A little, uh, a little yeah. absorption there. A little, mm-hmm. And you know, yeah. Moscato is sweet, but ours is, is technically off dry. So it's, it's 11% alcohol. So it's not that sweet. Your typical Moscato that you you buy in the grocery store is about 6% alcohol, so almost double the the sweetness level. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of acidity and freshness in in this wine, so it has a very broad um, appeal. To the Moscato fan base. Excellent. I want our listeners to know about Emma's background. I know we, we haven't, we haven't gotten interesting. (laughs) It it, it is interesting. So here's one thing that I found really interesting. Emma is the first CEO of a winery who I've run into, at least a female CEO, uh, who's also a certified sommelier. I'm, you, yeah, I've yeah, CSW, you've, yeah. You've got your CSW. Yeah. So, I thought you were going to say CPA. No, well, <laughs> also, you, you, uh, you are also quite the numbers cruncher. I know that's a huge background. At least background. I did at one point in my life. Which was more fun to earn. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, the CPA was certainly harder. Yeah. <laughs> Number crunching. Not, not my skill base at all. But for our listeners who may not know... Um, Emma Swain has been in the wine industry for more than 20 years. Although, I don't know, maybe you don't want to. I know. <laughs> I know. We won't tell. Yes, we won't tell. We, we won't count tell. how much more tell. than 20. Uh, so she got her uh, Bachelor of Science degree in Agriculture and Managerial Economics from UC Davis. Very cool. Unus- managerial Economics. I'm not even sure I know what that is. It means it's it's business for agriculture. Okay. So instead of widgets, we have grapevines. <laughs> and <laughs> okay, all right, that's cool. Um, you were at um, Nibam Coppola Winery before. Yep. That was one of your stops before here. Also, Sebastiani Vineyards and Winery. 
you were 13 years the um, chief operating officer there as yeah, well. I was so there for a long time. Long time. Big, big change. And then so eventually, 2009, you landed here. And this is one of the only, if not the only, major vineyard and winery in Napa Valley I know of that has been started and wholly run by women. Well, not huh? wholly. Uh, I mean, we mostly we, we do at the top of the food chain. Uh, yes. <laughs> so our first CEO, Michaela, mm-hmm. obviously was a woman, and then mm-hmm. I followed in her footsteps right. here at Saint Supery. But we have a lot of great men working for us too. That's true. You do have great. Yeah, men. Emma. Emma always says, you know, we we look for the best the best candidate for the position. So Good. We, yeah. Well, makes sense. We do find um, some fantastic men and women. Yeah. Well, that's how you end up with a diverse work environment and a diverse work environment brings diverse ideas, which brings greater success. Good answer. I love it. Speaking of good answers, should we be graduating to a red yes. that we were going to do? All right, Misty, I'm going to let you do that while I throw another question at Emma on this. Um, so we talked a lot earlier about um, Napa Green certification, but I would also like to know a little bit more looking to the future, what kind of challenges do you see over the next five, 10 years or more in Napa Valley in dealing with the sustainability issues and where we're going to be going with that? What's your crystal ball say to you? You know, my, my crystal ball says to me that Um, and maybe that's my Pollyanna crystal ball, is that um, every winery and vineyard that's a member of the Napa Valley Vintners is going to be certified Napa Green in my crystal ball. Well, yay, I hope so. In the next um, handful of years. Um, So I think that's the reality. I think that the majority of the people here in Napa Valley, um, the vast majority of growers and vintners in Napa Valley are doing what's best for the land for future generations because they're close family held businesses, closely held businesses as we are. And we're here for the long term. We're not here for three years to flip it over. We're here for the long term and we make long term investments. And if you make a long term investment, just being smart about the environment for future generations is the smartest business thing you can do. We're not for next quarter's profits. We're here to for for life. And the next generation's life. Woohoo! That sounds worthy of another toast. So, <laughs> ladies, we have a, a, a beautiful Saint Supery red, which somebody's going to tell me about in a second. But let's Ooh. get our our little clink in here. Um, oh God, that smells fantastic! fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Wow, that's a fun part of the job, isn't it? <laughs> that is the nice part of the job. I oh, is that heavenly? <laughs> Misty's chosen all my favorite wines today. Uh. I think. Um, my other favorite Signs child. Of a good employee, right? Yeah, she she you knows what she I knows like what to drink. Like. <laughs> so this is our Rutherford um, Vineyard Merlot. And, um, you know, I say Rutherford Vineyard because it's not just the appellation. It's the name of the vineyard. We ran out of little creativity that day. But um, <laughs> this this wine is grown right here, right next mm-hmm. to us and in front, right through the window there. Right. And um, it's 93% Merlot from that spot. And then wow. uh, next to it, 5% Cabernet from that parcel right on the other side of the driveway. And then a, a touch of Cabernet Franc from right here. So um, 
really a beautiful wine. I think the the wines from this property all display this incredible um, fine grain tannin, um, this beautiful sexy texture that that's just long and elegant. And I, for me, that's the the signature of this property is that just incredible texture and length um, to the wine. The wines are dense. I think that the um, the Merlot in particular, many people are surprised that it's a Merlot because it has great density and richness that often at first people think, oh, well, that's Cabernet. But for me, it's a little bit of my go-to, um, my go-to uh, pairing red wine because mm-hmm. it's easy. And, you know, I don't actually follow recipes. I think it's because I don't like to follow directions. And um, so I'm always sort of cooking um, by what's in the refrigerator and what do we have that's fresh. Right. And so I like this wine because it's got such a broad range. I was in Hong Kong recently working with an account that was opening a new restaurant and we had about 14 dishes on the table. And I thought, oh, our Vertu is going to be the wine that pairs best with all of them. The Merlot, in fact, went with the most dishes. And it was kind of eye-opening for me because I think, oh, that Vertu, it works with everything. But this wine, it, it, even more so because it's it's got great density. It's got great acidity. It's not overpowering, but um, but very rich. And so I think, um, I think people have forgotten the reason we loved Merlot. 20 years ago the reason we love merlot is it's delicious it is yes. it's one of my favorite varieties i love the the notes of blue fruit to it but it's often far more complex than people realize until they start sipping away yeah what do you guys is. like oh i love the versatility of it i mean you can pick this up during cocktail hour and you can drink it all the way through your main meal and it goes with salmon and it goes with yes. italian dishes i mean it's just so versatile it, it has a huge range. So. I have a, I did an eggplant parmesan last mm. night. This would go perfectly with it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely perfectly right, you're with taking it. taking half the bottle home with the liquor. <laughs> I did jambalaya. It would go with that too. There's a lot of spice. Oh, yes. The sausage yes. and the chicken and the shrimp we exactly. made out last night. You're going to have to Rochambeau for it then. Okay. Ah! <laughs> That's all right. She can have it. So, <laughs> she deserves it. Emma, what are your, what are your favorite pairings with the Merlot? You know, I I find that I like the Merlot, like Misty said, I love it with with salmon, especially if I'm doing a little bit of a soy glaze on that. I love it with with a roasted chicken and roast potatoes, any type of um, root vegetables, parsnips and carrots when we're we're doing a nice roasting on those with garlic. But, you know, again, it, it can handle going into this great spicy range, like you said, like the jambalaya. I make a lot of soups and really hearty soups. And so um, it's a, a good go-to with a, you know, turkey and wild rice soup. Good point. Lisa had was, more ideas. I was going to ask, not really about pairing, but I was going to mention that October, I believe, is Merlot month. And the is hashtag Merlot me is all over the place. Like, So if you're listening, tweet mm. about tweet about the St. Supery Merlot and, and hashtag Merlot me. And hashtag enjoy. Enjoy, yes. This, yeah. um, this it's fall, delicious. We, it has a beautiful ruby garnet color we, to it. We just launched yeah. um, an, enjoy, an enjoy social media mm-hmm. um, initiative where we're asking all users to hashtag enjoy. But the thing is, for listeners, you can't see, so you have to spell it <laughs> I-N-J-O-Y. So I was going to say if it was... Enjoy, oh, hashtag enjoy. Saint Supery. So we want to know what brings all of our listeners and users um and consumers 
joy and what brings yeah. joy to their lives. As you know, we um, we were feeling a little like maybe there's some negative things happening in the world, which we won't talk about. And and so we need to spend more time just sort of looking around and saying, what does bring me joy? And, you know, when I drive down this driveway as the sun's coming up like it was this morning, it that brings me joy. It was a spectacular morning in Napa Valley, just mm-hmm. the, the light on the vines at this time of year and um, being in this beautiful place. And so things like that, you know, a, a beautiful dog running to catch a ball, things like, you know, what Fantastic. brings you joy? And hopefully, you know, a little wine with friends around the table this time of year. But um, we're celebrating that. And um, when you get the most likes, you you win prizes, yeah. so, which is cool. <laughs> Absolutely. We all like prizes, right? right? Prizes are good, particularly if the prizes are wine. Yeah. Uh, we're not yeah. allowed to do that. I know That's it's illegal. not. It, it is do, illegal to do that. But we I, do have know. some fantastic Lalique glasses, mm. which Ooh, are nice. the universal wine glass. It's wow. just fantastic. Fun. All handcrafted in France. Wow. Speaking so, of luxury brands. Yes. Right? Yes, exactly. Got to do that. The parent company of St. Soupery. Would you like to tell us about that? Huh? So um, we were purchased by Chanel in October of 2015. And, you know, we're thrilled that uh, they chose to include us in their portfolio of, of wineries and the first winery in Napa Valley. Um, working for a company that is uh, so dedicated to ensuring the highest quality um, all the way through the supply chain is really nice for us as an estate winery because that's exactly what we're trying to do. And working with so many fantastic professionals around the country is awesome. I was just going to say to add on to that, Chanel, woman-founded company. Um, You know, we've got a little bit of a trend here. Uh, with all women doing things and leading. And I wanted to ask uh, Emma a few more questions about career because that's one of the things we talk about on this show is women's careers in the wine industry. Um, One thing I often ask um, our guests who have moved from one big high-profile location to another one is... Do you recall, because it's been 10 years, oh, we got a phone going, that's okay. It's a podcast, it's no big deal. (laughs) Do you remember, what was it that made you go, it was time to make the leap from, Sebastiani was where you were right before here, to, now you're here at St. Supery, what was it that meant, it's time to make the next leap? So, you know, I never expected to actually leave Sebastiani. I loved working um, for particularly the Dick and Mary and Sebastiani Cuneo. Um, they're incredible people, and we worked very well together, very like-minded goals. And so I wasn't particularly planning on leaving, but I did sell the winery for the second time. And so when we completed the sale, actually during the sale, I... Um, I got a call that Michaela was retiring and, and she and I met very quietly at my house and, um, you know, on a, a, a little, uh, mm-hmm. getaway. And I, you know, thought about it a little bit. I was working on the deal. And then, um, when we closed the deal, she, she said, Oh, now I know why you were so busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it takes a lot um, of work to close those deals. So while we were working on that, um, you know, then there was the opportunity, um, to be part of something different at Sebastiani and or um, come back to Napa Valley where I've been living for 
since 1992 and um, stay working in the valley where you know we're very involved in the community here and um, and be part of St. Supri and so um, it didn't take me too long to decide. And um, Emma what advice do you have for women and men out there in the wine industry sort of paving their path forward because I mean obviously you've been extremely successful to achieve the position that you've achieved here at St. Supri and then also um, being um, as one of the honorary chairs of the Napa Valley Vintners a few years right. back. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, for, for me, I've, I've always worked hard and I think, uh, you know, keys, keys to success is, um, check your ego at the door. It's, it's not about you. It's about, it's about the company and the company being successful. And if the company is successful and you're successful in your projects with your coworkers, then you will be successful. And, um, I think putting, um, putting the brand first, putting the, the company first versus, um, your career actually puts your career first. And I think, um, you know, leave the drama, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you, you don't need to create drama at work. You need to focus on what we're here to do. And I think when everyone works together for a common goal, then, um, everyone is successful. And I, um, I've worked for so many great people in my career and I've worked with a lot of great people in my career and still do. And everyone I work with provides me with inspiration and mentorship every day because, you know, they're all smarter than me. And so that's good. (laughs) And so I learned something new, but you know, what I bring to the table is I do, you know, I have, um, more of a, a global vision of how everything interacts. And I, um, I take a lot of leaps in, in concepts, which mm-hmm. can be annoying to people I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's my They don't all leap as fast I, as you do? Well, I, I, it's, it's not linear. Mm. Um, but what I do find is, you know, working with smart people who have great ideas enables us all to be um, kind of great together. So um, if... And, and I think that, that one of the things that um, people say, oh, well, that person, I can't believe they did that and this and that. And I think a lack of communication is um, what causes a lot of problems um, in a company. And I'm, I'm a very direct person, and I, I say what I mean. And, um, and I'm happy to be wrong. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. I'm happy to listen. And I think that doing that and listening to smart people all around you, the smart people you work for, the smart people who work for you, the smart people you work with, however you want to look at it. Um, but listening to other people's ideas and, you know, throwing more ideas out there because alone, um, none of us are great. And together we can take, you know, three not great ideas and make one great idea. Cool. Mm-hmm. I love that. I wanted to build on that because that was that's a lot of great advice for people just entering the industry, any industry, frankly, um, man or woman. Um, but uh, you touched Misty a bit about uh, Emma's time with the Napa Valley Vintners, but I also wanted to learn a little bit more about um, your feelings about serving on Napa Valley Vintners and now if I have it right you're on the wine market council yeah as well right now and you're a board chair there 
Yeah, I'm actually off. off. I'm, oh, not off the, the, I'm not the board chair anymore. I'm, I think I'm the Demetrius. You rotated yeah, to something but, else. But I'm still on the Wine Market <laughs> Council board. I've been on the Wine Market Council board for about a decade. But um, And I just rolled off the Napa Valley Vintners board after six years. But I, I've been on a lot of boards in mm-hmm. Napa Valley. I follow what, what I'm passionate about and, and try to you know give a large amount of time to those organizations and, and get involved in a, in a detailed way that's meaningful to me. Do you think, and hopefully to them. Do you think it's helpful to people's t- careers to do those kind of, they're kind of side jobs, so to speak. Sometimes they're volunteers, sometimes they're paid. Do you think they're, they're a help? I think that diversity in the workplace and diversity in your life are really important for your career. Okay. I think, you know, doing other things and, and being exposed to other people. I think one of my most enjoyable board positions was when I was on the board of the Napa County Land Trust mm-hmm. and president of that board when we bought Wild Lake. And I think that was um, a role that was very interesting to me, um, but I had a divided board. I had people who wanted to save land but didn't want to take risks. I had people who wanted to take a lot of risk. And <laughs> and then I had Randy Dunn saying, I'm going to give $5 million, God bless him. And um, and that kicked everything, uh, kicked everything off, right? <laughs> and, but, but, you know, that experience of working with a lot of, you know, strong-willed, amazing leaders um, who were quite uh, divergent on, on that whole... Um, thing and then, and then saving this amazing piece of land for for future generations is it was fantastic and so you know it, it's just broadens your experiences and if you're just at one company and I I think uh, if you go to a company and you don't stay two years you haven't learned anything because you know Amen. you don't even know your mm-hmm. job for two years but you think oh I'm so great you you've just kind of figured out the basics you can't even make any any real change and any real progress if you keep job hopping. I love that. (laughs) I I mean, you just, you never get any depth. Everything is superficial. And so, you know, this is another way um, by participating in another organization that's meaningful to you to add meaningful impact to your community. And I've been involved, when I'm involved with a charity, I'm involved for a a long time. And then I, you know, try to roll off and do something else that's important to me. But it just gives you um, a great way to give back to your community. And, you know, that's why I live in Napa Valley, because there's no greater community for um, taking care of its own and taking care of the, the environment, taking care of the people here. Wow. It's great to hear what you're really passionate about. <laughs> That's yeah, fantastic. It is. And pushing yourself. Like, I mean, I know yeah. I've sat on a, a board that I wasn't 100% confident because, you know, I'm not, I don't have a tech background. But when you sit on those boards, like, it really pushes you. Like, you are really. You're out of your comfort zone. Yeah, you're out of your comfort zone. You're learning new things. You're presenting. Maybe you're moderating. Like, it's, you really have to, you know, learn and invest time in your industry. So it, it is great. Yeah. I mean, I, I expect the winery to continuously improve and God, I hope I'm continuously improving because <laughs> how boring for everybody else if I'm not. Oh goodness. But you did hit on a really, um, hot topic sort of here in the Napa Valley. Turnover is just rampant. Like it, in the industry, yeah, right? In, in, in wine industry specifically, because all of these wineries in, in very few industries, you find everything so geographically concentrated. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really easy for, um, employees and 
to move from job to job. Mm -hmm. But you did point out some great. But, you know, we we've been around long enough. There will be another recession of some sort. And um, we know what happens in that scenario. And people who have been jumping and who don't have depth, who aren't um, resourceful or creative and have depth in their job, they'll be the first to go and they'll be the last to get a new job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think, you know, paying attention and, and communicating, if you're unhappy at your job, why are you unhappy? Are you, um, are you creating, a, an environment that's not fun? Are you, um, are you not communicating well with people? Are you, um, are you not doing your job well? And, and maybe take a look at yourself And then, you know, if there's things that can be changed, provide an opportunity for the people you work with to change by communicating versus um, just, you know, going behind their back and saying, oh, this doesn't work, I'm I'm gone. And um, that's how you grow as a person is having a conversation. You know, I I was talking the other day, people say, I can't believe that guy said that to me. That was so, you know, sexist or whatever. (laughs) But I mean, I'm sorry. How many times have we all said something that goes, oh my God, I can't believe that just came out of my mouth Uh, because you you didn't mean it that way or it came across that way. And if someone says, did you just mean to say that? Don't you think the best thing thing, though is when you recognize something comes out of your mouth and immediately you recognize, oh my gosh, this just came across completely differently than I intended, but at least you recognize that you you got it. And and not just in the workplace, but at home as well. Sometimes I find myself saying things to my children and I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I can't believe that came out of my mouth. I really Did you use one of those because I said so? Yes. No, not the because I said so, but something else. But yeah, I probably should have never positioned it that way. But you know, sometimes you you don't realize that it came across that way because it didn't mean that to you. And for someone to say, did you really mean that? gives you an opportunity to say, oh my God, no, not like that. Right. <laughs> you know, but this, and give people the opportunity to apologize and, and do the right thing. And if they can't do the right thing, then jump ship. Yeah. <laughs> the hard part it is when somebody doesn't step forward, like you say, and said, did you mean it like that? What happens the millions of times that they don't actually tell you that they took it a completely different way mm-hmm. that you intended? That's where you're heart kind of breaks a little yeah because you don't want somebody to feel bad about well, something. well it, it's just communication said. and you know i i think everyone's been in that place and so put yourself in the other person's shoes i mean oh, i think yes. everyone is here trying to do the very best that they can and to I, I i give people the benefit of the doubt i think we're all trying to be great at what we do and we're trying to be great people and and great stewards of the land and great contributors to the community and um, if someone does something differently, why did they do it differently? Because there's probably a reason. And, um, you know, maybe you don't know everything that happened. Right. Amen. Missing pieces of the puzzle, right? Woohoo! Well, we're just about at the end. And the thing that's actually been kind of sticking in my head, this has been really interesting, but some of the things that listeners may not realize is that at St. Supery, when Emma was referring to Look, this came this this wine, the grapes for this wine came from the vines fifty yards away or less on this side, and a small portion to the north on the other side of this beautiful house. 
that's a rarity in this yes. valley. It's true that that you know you named about a dozen or so estate only houses here. Houses. I'm thinking French terms here. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of wineries are virtual wineries. They have a name. They buy their grapes from a great location. But they don't have a home, per se. They're virtual. Brands without parents. Brands without parents, you know. And this is a pretty unique experience because you might get to be able to come here and experience a great tasting here in this home, this beautiful Victorian home from the 1800s. Which I notice is on the National Register of Historic Places. Thank you, Lisa. Which is really cool. It's great. And very and the, well preserved. And besides just regular visitor tasting experiences, you guys hold a lot of special events here as well. Oh Harvest events, holiday events. So um, there's a number of ways that you can participate and really soak in the history. And maybe you'll get to see some of those collars that Misty was yes, talking yes. about from the original owners are, here of this home. We are working on the best presentation um, sort of display for those so if any listeners out there have any suggestions yeah. please let expertise us know expertise in in um, display display that's kind of cool well i want to make sure that our listeners know that um for wine women we have a, our annual conference actually it's our first annual conference it's coming up on november 5th misty's going to be there mm-hmm. i know um 9 5 at buena vista winery in sonoma and this is open to the public. You don't have to be in the wine industry. You don't even have to be a woman to attend. It's open to everyone, and uh, it will include a lot of seminars and module skills on communication skills, your personal communication styles, because all of us have different ones. As long as you communicate, it's good. That's right. That's important. And as long as you communicate what you think you're communicating to the other person, which is a huge challenge. There you go. So um, that will be November 5th, and you can get tickets at winewomen.net. Lisa, what have you got coming up? Oh, goodness. You would ask me that, Marsha, <laughs> wouldn't you? I the Well, I've got the fig jam coming up pretty soon, okay. <laughs> which will be nice. Um, in terms of the wine world, um, we're about to you know, launch the next issue of Canvassing Wine Country That's magazine. right, going towards a holiday. Yeah, so that's we're wrapping that up, cool. and... Um, yeah, busy. It's I think really we'll be busy. talking about that issue of the Canvas Magazine in a future episode yes. here of Wine Women yes. Radio. Misty, what else have you got going on besides being marketing guru of St. Super here? I just encourage all listeners to enjoy the season. Enjoy. I-N-J-O-Y. I-N-J-O-Y. <laughs> and share your happy wine moments or not wine moments with us. We want right. to see. So, tag so. I love that. Excellent. Emma Swain, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Lisa, thank you again for being here. And Misty and visitors and listeners, thank you most of all. And be sure to uh, put St. Supery on your uh, visitor schedule for when you come out to wine country. It's a beautiful location with lots of great wines. We'll be back next week with another episode of Wine Women Radio. Have a fabulous week.